Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we check in with Derek Taylor, the voice of the Bombers. We chat about week six in the CFL. And also, we talk to Carl Hale, the tournament director of the National Bank Open in Toronto, the men's edition this year. The player list is announced. A lot of Canadians, a lot of top players should be a great tournament. We'll talk about it all on the podcast. We're used to seeing home playoff games for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and off to a 4-1 and start. Figures that could be... Very likely we get another one, just a matter of which weekend it's on this year as we welcome in the voice of the Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor. Uh, and Derek, through five weeks of the season, I'm not going to ask you to power rank teams, but I, I guess I kind of am. Where do you feel the Bombers are through five weeks compared to the rest of the CFL? I think we have to probably put them at number three. Because Toronto, I mean, BC lumped Winnipeg at home and Toronto beat BC. And uh, I mean, Toronto's probably been the most impressive team, but again, they've only played three times. So yeah, maybe three, but I, I watched that BC game against Montreal last night. And I mean, apart from getting good field position all the time, I, I wasn't super impressed with them. So uh, if you wanted to say 2A and just annoy BC Lion fans endlessly, I'm fine with that. But uh, yeah, I'd say probably three if I had to. It's kind of wild that Toronto is off to their first 3-0 start in over 30 years, isn't it? Like three wins isn't that many to start a season with, but here we are, and Toronto's making history. <laughs> well, and I mean, uncertainty they had at quarterback, right? Like they go, I mean, McLeod Bethel-Thompson, wasn't the best quarterback in the CFL, but he was good. So to go from good to a question mark for for anybody who hadn't worked with Chad Kelly, it was it, it was a question mark. What's he going to be like? He was instrumental in that final drive in the Grey Cup, sure, but now you're going to throw the ball 600 times a year and you're in charge for 18 games. What's it going to look like? And, you know, uh, I had a, a wager they might win four to six games th- thinking they could really regress. But Oops. Man, uh, that defense. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you take good odds when you get them. You get sure. seven to one. You're like, yeah, let's roll the dice on this. Maybe they stink. Uh, but, I mean, I mean, the receivers are working. The offensive line is is good enough. Kelly's able to maneuver in the pocket. I don't think he's been MOP level, but he's been more than good enough. The the defense is crushing it with that team. Uh, everything, I mean, everything's going about as well as Toronto could hope. I'm trying to think off the top of my head of their injury troubles, and I don't think of many, so I'm curious what happens when those pop up. Uh, I think Curly Gittens missed a game earlier this year, but uh, they haven't had the injury problems a lot of other teams have, but full props to them. Uh, 3-0, and and the way that East looks, uh, unless Ottawa makes a big move at quarterback, uh, Toronto could have the East wrapped up pretty early. So let's talk about Ottawa now. Jeremiah Mazzoli, the tough news this week that he his Achilles is toast and his career might be over, really, at this point, which is really too bad. So they're going with Dustin Crum on the weekend. My read on him in his time against Hamilton, and, and again, it's a spot position to, to go in. It was no uh, preparation for him going into it. It'll be a lot different this week. I thought he ran the ball really well. I thought throwing was a challenge for him. What was your scouting report? Yeah, I'll get it. I'm going to dive deeper into that uh, that game tonight. But uh, I, I would I would echo that. Right, he almost had the scramble to get in the end zone on the final play of the game, and he just gets stopped just a hair short. But uh, just rolling back through some of his college numbers in his five years at Kent State, you know, 67 percent completion is fine. Uh, looks like nine, eight and a half yards per attempt is fine at the college level. So you know he can obviously 
if you're going to play over five years in, in college, you're, you're going to, you have some skills, but I, I, I will always come back to, well, the guy is number three or four for a reason, right? Do you, I don't know what coaches saw throughout training camp and stuff, but they said, okay, well, it's Nick Arbuckle until Masoli gets back. It's not going well with Nick. Okay. It's Tyree Adams time. Here's Masoli. And now they're down to what would have been their fourth option in training camp had Masoli been healthy. So I take a little bit of weight from that, but um, yeah, it just be ready to use those scramble legs and you better be accurate with your passes because guys like Demario Houston will be on the prowl on Saturday. How much of an indictment is this of Nick Arbuckle's status right now where he's, you know, he played two games, but some guy, you know, the, the franchise guy gets hurt in Masoli and they don't <laughs> turn to Arbuckle. They turn to a guy who's never played before. It's it's remarkable how much the shine has come off of Nick Arbuckle, right? After in 2019 when he filled in for Bo Levi Mitchell in Calgary, like, this guy's the next greatest thing. It was unbelievable. Uh, he gets the free agent deal in 2020 in Ottawa to the surprise of many. Ottawa then drops him for Matt Nichols. He goes to Toronto in 2021 and then bounce, bounce, bounce around. And they were reluctant to go to him last year, it felt like, uh, as well. And then they start with him this year and it just it's it's a major indictment it's it's enormous to go uh, this guy with cfl experience but let's try somebody who's who's unproven who might have upside that's i i kind of don't know where arbuckle goes from here i i kind of wondered if some at some point during the season when masoli came back would another team you know if they suffer a quarterback injury try to trade for arbuckle going maybe this guy can get us you know keep us going into the playoffs but now i i kind of wonder if he'll be around in 2023 after this one. We saw McLeod Bethel Thompson released. 2024, sorry. Yeah, uh, Bethel Thompson was released yesterday by his USFL team, much like Dakota Prukop was right before he returned to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Uh, nothing imminent, of course. This is what It's been reported that this is just a step in the process to even talk to CFL teams. But do you get the feeling that a team would benefit from getting him back? Do you, in your gut, feel like we're going to see him again in the CFL this summer? Oh, I would, I would think so. If it, if it at all entices him, it would be, it would be different. When when uh, when Dakota Prukop came back, I, we kind of asked him, "Hey, you know what? You're signing up to play like 27 football games. Like this is an incredible amount of football for for him. You know, the games in the CFL will be relatively easy versus a starting quarterback, right? You won't take nearly as many shots, and it's not nearly as you know mentally and physically taxing. Whereas uh, MBT would come back to be the starter for somebody, and he would come back presumably for his sake, on starter money, right? Um, I He could probably, he's got to be able to uh, to make some cash if he comes back because you just look around the league and go, well, who, who might want to adventure into the veteran quarterback waters? Edmonton, Calgary, uh, Montreal, Ottawa, certainly, Hamilton. Like there are a lot of teams that, you know, if, if they think he could come in there, and pick up their system might want to go to him because there's still, uh, what is this week? Six, 15 weeks left in the season after this, there's a lot of time left. So, uh, if, if he's interested in playing, if it works with, for him and for his family life, he could make a really good chunk of money because, uh, there are some teams that feel like they should make the playoffs. And I don't know that they have the quarterback to get them through even a round of the playoffs in their respective divisions. So let's take a look ahead to uh, week six in the CFL. We start with Hamilton and Ottawa. Hamilton one and three, or uh, sorry, Hamilton and Edmonton. Ticats one and three. Elks are 0 and 5, and this is another home game. Derek, is this the night 
they finally snap their just century-long losing streak at home. <laughs> they are they're incredible. Um, I, I Gino Lewis not in the game. I just I look at that Elks depth chart and I go, do do you care at all about the offensive line? Like I know once. I guess once you've painted yourself into a corner, you try to get out of it in some other way. But uh, we're going to keep going with a Canadian at right tackle. So now it'll be Brett Boyko's turn after we tried David Foucault at tackle, after we tried Josiah St. John. I just, at some point, you need to go find an American to play on that offensive line. The the receiver is still fine. The running backs still fine. The defense there's a lot of names in there that make you go, I kind of don't know who this guy is. And I've been watching for all five weeks thus far. It's, it is not a, it has not been a GMing clinic. I feel like in Edmonton thus far, at some point they have to win, right? And this is one of their winnable games because Hamilton has not showed real well uh, to this point in the season. So maybe this is the one and maybe, but do I believe Taylor Cornelius is going to lead them to the promised land after you know, an 11 point performance this past week. I, I don't know. I, I had hopes that Edmonton was going to, you know, prosper with the, with the free agents they went out and got to add to that offense. But man, it is so far from there that I, I kind of can't believe it. And another game to kick off a CFL week that looks pretty dreadful on paper. I'll be honest. Last week's Saskatchewan Edmonton game. Yeah, it was close, but it was pretty gross. Friday, we have Toronto at Montreal. Argos finally playing their fourth game. Uh, it's inexplicable <laughs> that they have two buys already in the books. At Montreal, a Montreal team that I think with the blooms come off the rose a bit. Uh, but though they lost to Winnipeg in a, in a monsoon, and then they, they lose to BC in a game that was pretty close at halftime. And who knows, if that pick six doesn't get taken off the board right at the start, things might be different. But who are you looking forward to learning more about, Toronto or Montreal? Because for me, it seems like we just need to see Toronto play more. Three games is too little of a sample size. Yeah, I feel like I have a handle on what Montreal's all about. Their offense looked okay this past week, but they're, uh, at some point, Cody Fajardo's luck with the deep ball is going to regress. And then, I mean, I don't know what they're going to be left with. I'm really curious to see more about Toronto because they, they look like in a bunch of ways, right? In the way that when you look at the Bombers wins this season, there have been offensive wins, there have been defensive wins, and there was Janarian Grant kind of turning the tide of a, of a game. Toronto appears to be the same kind of thing of, do we need to do this with the defense? Okay, no problem. Robertson Daniel had three picks in a game, and I think he has 170 return yards on those interceptions. It's bonkers. And oh, by, by the way, the offense can put up 40-plus in a game. So I'm curious to, to see more from them, to see, you know, this game may not tell us what's real and what's not because I don't know how big a test Montreal is for the Argos, but, uh, you know, just just more evidence, just more evidence of, what can Chad Kelly do? How can they handle their run game? Who's going to be their big, you know, their big play threats in the offense come, you know, as we get later into the season when teams have seen more of them, uh, that kind of stuff. So I, I'm with you in that it's it's Toronto in my mind. All right. And then skipping ahead to Saturday, a doubleheader. We have the Winnipeg game. We will we'll spend a lot of time on that one coming up, but uh, let's just go to the other one. Calgary and Saskatchewan. Uh, the Stamps looking for revenge for that overtime loss at home to the Rough Riders. I'm not sure the Stamps are as bad as a 1-3 record. I'm not sure the Rough Riders are as good as a 3-1 and one record. What do you think? I think the Stampeders are probably closer to their record than the Riders are. Like, the Riders, you, you win the overtime game, right, because Jake Mayer tries to make a play and it doesn't work, or else, you know, you might be 2-1-1, one and one, or you could well be 2-2, two and two, uh, right? Both teams could come into this game at 2-2. Two and two. So it, it's just that close sometime in the, in the uh, Canadian Football League. Um 
Man, I was just watching that game back from last week uh, with the Stamps here in Winnipeg, and it just it just looks and feels nothing like a Stampeder team that we've seen for a decade. It it feels like okay, the defense was able to to get to Kolaris and make some make some plays, and James Vodders back from the NFL looked fantastic in that game with a couple of big time quarterback sacks. They can cover, but where are they going on offense? And can Jake Mayer? take them there because after about the 11 minute mark of the second quarter their offense had no chance against the Bombers defense the Bombers defense that has shown holes throughout you know the early part of this season and Calgary just had nothing left the they figured out uh, where they'd gone wrong in the run game and now there there wasn't any any room left for Dedrick Mills uh the past game I don't really I mean I guess Jake tried to hammer one deep to uh Mark and Michelle but sailed it over his head and then it's being Demario Houston's pick I I kind of don't know where Calgary goes from here and yeah I mean well the Riders have were an absolute puzzlement with a 12-11 win over Edmonton where they looked incompetent for most of that game but when they needed the most here comes Trevor Harris on the offense and that was a gritty and gut, gutsy drive to tie the game and then the two-point convert play was one of the better throws of the year in the in the CFL to make that whole play happen so yeah, I feel like I feel like Calgary's a little closer to one and three, but uh, I, I sure hope this is another one. And you know, a loss for the Riders sure wouldn't wouldn't hurt with the uh, the Bombers sitting there at four and one would create a little space between you know the top two and then the rest of the league, the rest of the uh, division. Well, Saskatchewan's got a three on one record. They're two and zero oh against the Elks. Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, and and it, it, you know they had that twelve eleven when they had, they won seventeen thirteen in week one. So that's not. Really blowing the doors off him either. Finally, Derek, before I let you go, uh, you talked to Drew Brown today. We played it off the top of the show. Uh, he lost his dad last week. I was blown away by his poison perspective talking to you today. What did you think of of being right next to him as he spoke to you? Yeah, it's it's an uncomfortable situation, right? Because he he knows he has to talk, but how much does he want to talk? But it's it's always it's always nice and uh, like. like my dad died many years ago, so I kind of I kind of reflect on my own when I you know asking guys questions and to talk to him about you know when you're sitting around and you know in advance of the funeral and afterward you you start thinking about all the the strange things and somehow your sister you know your sister tells a weird story and everybody starts laughing right so you just want to I just wanted to ask if there were any of those and he had a, ter- a terrific story uh, what, what was it are you are you uh, are, are you open, open to, to some men- some mentorship, mentorship yeah <laughs> which which Drew kind of said he's going to give me crap for being terrible in this past game right and it, it was just such a it was just such an entertaining story and then uh, I always like to uh, with Adam Big Hill the week before you know what's the lesson that you that you're going to take from your in this case your your father because uh there are things after after my dad passed away I thought okay well this is something my dad would want me to do he never explicitly said it because I was quite young but you know this is what this is the direction I'm going to go in because I think this would make dad happy and so it's uh, they're kind of they're uncomfortable to do but they're really they're really important to do right because everybody's going to lose their parents at, at some point and and we all have to deal with it some of us are blessed to be you know to have been with them for a long time and to see them grow grow old and spend you know 60 70 years with our parents and some of us are not so but there's always there's a common bond and we can all kind of understand where where drew's coming from so it was it was nice of him to uh to share some of the memories with him and you uh 
you just look at it and go, yeah, that's, that's good. This is, this is, when you look at Drew, you go, this is what a father would love to have in his son. Doesn't have to be, didn't have to be a professional athlete, but he's, he, uh, he and his, you know, he and Drew's mom raised, raised a good kid and they've, they've grown him into a good man. So that's, uh, yeah, those are just kind of the things that I kind of bring into interviews like that one. All said, Derek, appreciate your time. Thanks for this. And, uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks brother. That's Derek Taylor, voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Our coverage on Saturday from Ottawa. A 3 p.m. Central start for kickoff, so that means our pregame show will come your way at 1 o'clock here on CGOB. We'll take a break. When we come back, the NBA is tinkering with its rules. If you hate flopping, good news, they're going to try to curb it with this new rule next. Earlier today, I caught up with tournament director Carl Hale, who's been on the job since 2006, and I asked him if this is the most stacked field they've ever had. This is as good a field as we ever had, and it's really exciting for us because, you know, it's it's kind of a transition period where you have, you know, these next generation, Holger Rune, Carlos Alcaraz, and Yannick Sinner, who are the next stars coming up. You still have Novak holding on, then a few veterans that are still sticking around, and then you have our Canadians. Um, Dennis and Felix, and Dennis looks like he's turned it around, and Felix will be eager to turn it around. So super, super exciting field. So we'll start with the Canadians here, and, and Milos Raonic getting a wild card into this event. Uh, he talked to the media today, and it kind of feels a bit like a farewell tour for Milos. He, he mentioned how this might be his last Wimbledon. This could be his last National Bank Open. Uh, how important is it to, to have him at this event healthy enough to compete again, finally? Well, mostly for him. You know, um, he's been such an important part of this uh, resurgence of tennis in Canada. You know, the highest ranked Canadian in number three finals of Wimbledon and really inspired these younger players, male and female, um, to be to tennis professionals, which we didn't really have in the past. So we're really happy for him that he can come back and play. And never say never, because listen, if he, if he stays healthy and gets healthy and he starts to have a couple wins, you know, he's only at the believe 33, so he might have one more in him, but we'll we'll see. So you've been in this position for quite a while now, almost 20 years. That run to the final in 2013, where does that stack up in your National Bank Open memories? Oh, definitely. Uh, I think, you know, the highlights of, of my tenure, um, that would be dead, the top three for sure. Then uh, Dennis beating um, Rafael Nadal was incredible in Montreal. And then, of course, Bianca winning in Toronto was was definitely the top. And we're hoping to see something like that because, you know, Canadians get incredible support at this event. And not just the, the big-name Canadians that we're mentioning here. There are others down the list, too, that are going to take a shot at their national championship. Yeah, I mean, you have Vasek, who uh, is coming up off the Davis Cup win last year, and he has a lot of top wins, including uh, Andy Murray, when I believe he was number one. Uh, we're celebrating the Davis Cup win on opening night uh, at 7 o'clock. So we're going to get Canadian or really behind these uh, Canadian players and, and try to help them have a deep run in our tournament. And do the, the wild cards, can those go to just Canadians? Could they go to anybody? Do you know yet who those are going to go to? Well, Milos has uh, the one wild card. We have three more. Historically, we keep them... Um, for Canadians, unless it's, uh, you know, somebody that really, 
really makes a big impact for the tournament, i.e. somebody like Serena or somebody like that. So we're going to have to decide. There's a lot of interest um, from some former top players. You know, Stan Wawrinka is one. Kei Nishikori was top 10. So there's a lot of other players that are interested, but we're definitely going to use, you know, the most of it for, for our Canadians. So this event has been around for, for so long. Do you feel like we're maybe seeing the best of Canadian tennis at this event now in 2023 compared to any other point in tennis history? Absolutely. I think, you know, since 2019, um, up until the next, you know, 10 years past that, till to 29, you know, you have Layla, Bianca, Felix and Dennis, uh, four players that are really Grand Slam contenders leading the way. So I think we're right in the thick of it at this time. So it's a great opportunity for them to to step up and, and lead Canadian tennis with some more victories at big events like, like ours. And it's also an opportunity for tennis fans that have seen all these people on TV the last couple of years burst onto the scene, such as Carlos Alcaraz at the top of that list, having a major under his belt, and who knows, maybe he gets another one on Sunday, to see up close and personal the future of tennis, which seems to be coming up now, as long as, you know, plus Novak, who doesn't seem to ever want to go away. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is just the, you know, my view on it being around the sport for such a long time is that at this time, Alcaraz is definitely... Um, head and shoulders ahead of the competition. Very stiff competition, but uh, when when Rafa, Roger, and Novak were competing, they had each other. And unless this next generation really steps up, you know, Carlos could really, you know, accumulate a lot of slams and be that player that, you know, becomes the next greatest ever. So this is the beginning of his era. So we'll hopefully see him here and have a, a really successful tournament. It might be his first National Bank Open championship. So to have the top 42, at least right now, confirmed to be there, people can get hurt between now and the start of August. But uh, this change that is focusing on these Masters events, extending them to two weeks and, and equalizing prize money in the next few years for men and women, how much does this benefit your tournament? Uh, it's a it's a tremendous asset because you know the tournament is is about our fans, and when the fans see that you know the top players are attending your tournaments on an annual regular basis, it just gives a ton of credibility to your event as one of the leading events in the world. And for your corporate partnerships, you know that's what they want. They want to be a part of the best tennis event in the world. So we're seeing that happen, and we're seeing the growth of tennis due to our success of our players um the four the big four and davis cup and now with the tournament moving to 12 days in, in 2025 and equal prize money for women our event is in just a really really good place and elevating really rapidly so you have less than a month to go before the first matches are played is all the hard work done for you or is it just getting started it's just getting started. I mean, the good news is that ticket sales are 30% ahead of our best year ever. Um, our player field is the strongest we've ever had. Our Canadians are as good as we've ever had. So, you know, we're looking forward to one of our best events in history. And hopefully the weather holds up like it usually does. And we have a big celebration opening night 
with our Davis Cup. And also on Wednesday night, Carlos Alcaraz is confirmed for a 7 p.m. start. So just looking forward to a great, great event. And I get the feeling too, you know, 2022 is kind of, you know, COVID was starting to feel over. But I think now that I think most people have forgotten that it was a thing at this point, I feel like this summer we're seeing just more people going to stuff. And I think that's probably partially what we're seeing here. At least that's my thought. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I mean, 2022, we had just an incredible tournament with Serena Williams, the greatest female player ever retiring, you know, announcing her retirement at our tournament, which just, you know, that day was a Tuesday. Typically, I'll do like 10 interviews a day. That day, I did 42 interviews. And the Wednesday night, her last match was just an incredible atmosphere. So 2022 was a magical event. But this year is shaping up to be the same, you know, and I think uh, based on the response from our fans for ticket sales and, and the interest in our tournament, we're, we're presuming we're going to have a, just as successful an event. So what actually happens for you now between today, July 12th, and those, that first match day? What, what's on your plate? Well, we, we want to keep the momentum of our ticket sales um going forward we want to ensure that uh you know the the all the players are healthy and looking forward to coming to our tournament we also there's a lot of staff coming from the atp and around the world to make our tournament successful so we try to make sure that all the preparations are in order we're on call this week with them we have over a thousand volunteers at our tournament that without them it wouldn't be as successful so we ensure that they're they're ready and good to go. And just uh, all the operations that the team puts together, you know, this is, this is what we work for. And then during the tournament, we can just enjoy all the hard work that we put in over the year. Now, before I let you go as a tennis fan, we're down to the final four and the men and women at Wimbledon. Who's going to win? Okay. So I've thought about this and on the men's side, I think Novak is in for a really tough, tough uh, semi with Sinner. I think Sinner is ready to break out and become a Grand Slam champion. And then if he wins that, he has to play likely Alcaraz. So he's he's in a really tough spot. He's going to have to play really well, but he is one of the greatest, if not the greatest. So it's my bet is it's either Alcaraz or Djokovic, and it's a, it's a pick em. And on the woman's side, I just think uh, both Ons Jabur and Vitalina are amazing stories. You know, Owens should have won last year and kind of let that final go. So it would be nice to see her win. But with uh, Svitolina, it's just a great story of, you know, what's going on in the world and and how she's overcoming that for her country and also being a a mom. So just great stories in tennis. So I'll pick one of those two. So let me get this straight. You didn't pick a winner for either here. No. (laughs) You know what? I, I, I would like, but it's really a pick'em. Like yeah. it's, I, if you call me tomorrow, I could switch. So uh, I'll leave it as okay. those are my two. So you you pick the matchups at least. Yeah, and then and then whoever wins, I'll say that's that's who I picked. Fair enough. All right. Well, we we do have record of it, Carl. But uh, I appreciate your time. Thanks for this, and best of luck with everything at this year's tournament. I appreciate it, and uh, look forward to a great tournament. Thank you. Carl Hale, tournament director of the National Bank Open in Toronto, top men's players in the world converging on 
the Ontario Capitol. August 5th is when that gets underway. The women's list of players will be announced tomorrow for the tournament in Montreal. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. Come on and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you all.